Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 118 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Razor Ramon. And I'm joined here by my Herculean co-host, former market maker, 20 years and current day retail trader, the revered son of Howe Street, the man who taught you how to think like a villain and the heartthrob of Eastern Europe. JJ, how's it going? What's up, brother? How you doing today? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing real good. And our guest today, he started his career in options and futures trading in 1983 as an independent market maker at the Chicago Board Options Exchange, as well as a local independent trader at the Chicago Board of Trade. He served on the CBOE Arbitration Committee for over 10 years, ruling on disputes between traders and trading firms. Presently, he is the co-host of Trade of Tasty Live with Tom Sosnoff on the Tasty Live Network, the number one ranked financial program on the internet. You know who I'm talking about. It's Tony the Bat Batista. Tony, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. I got one more accolade you can put. I became a grandfather 48 hours ago. So oh wow. Too. Tony, congratulations, congrats, man. That's awesome. Thank That's you, bro. That's awesome. Is that a first uh First grandchild. First one, yeah, first one. First one. He's a masculine boy, as they say. <laughs> All right. Excellent. That's great. That's great. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Tony, over the weekend, um, you know, I was just going through your Twitter uh, before we doing the podcast. I saw you were at a uh, youth hockey tournament. Uh, yes, my son. So I've, oh, got, yeah. I've, got, I've got five kids from 33 to 13. Um, I got two boys at each bookends and three girls uh, in the middle. So that's my youngest. He's 13 years old, and he's a hockey player. That's awesome, cool. Tony. I, uh, I I grew up playing hockey myself, going to the tournaments, man. I, I have such uh, so many good memories, some wild memories too. Uh, yeah, hockey. Yeah. Uh, so much fun. It is. It is. Are you are you uh, are you much of a hockey fan like NHL? I'm a hockey fan. I was never a hockey player. Uh, my oldest son Nick, who's on the show with us uh, at Tasty Live, there he um, was a football player. So I coached him for football for quite a few years, but I didn't I never learned how to skate. Although my mom was a uh, a waitress at Rockefeller Center back in the day in the late seventies, no and yeah, and I could get to skate on the yeah. on the promenade rink for free, but I never really picked it up. Oh, it's too yeah. expensive a sport back in Brooklyn, man. You know, football <laughs> or baseball, you know, you can throw on some pads and you're done. Hockey, man, you know, to rent the ice and stuff, it's just travel. It's just so expensive. No, no kidding, Tony. My my son's really taking a liking to hockey, um, and How I'm like. Uh, he's not, he's nine now, you know, it's, it's funny. Cause you know, the, the Florida Panther, I'm, I'm down here in Florida mm -hmm. and, uh, the Panthers start going on a run last year. So he starts getting excited, you know, he's, you know, he wants to get skating and I'm looking at the, the, the price of the equipment. And like, even back from when I was, playing, I always know it was expensive, but my God, man, the sticks, the, the skates, the shit pads. Wooden sticks for fifteen dollars now. Yeah. You know, one hundred fifty dollars for a stick is cheap. You know, so. yeah. Is that how much a hockey stick costs now? Holy cow! I don't have kids. Yeah, they're wow. of like two hundred, right? Yeah, like a hundred to five hundred, depending on how stupid you want to get with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it like a magic hockey hockey stick? I mean, it's, I, holy cow! That's a I mean, lot of dough. At at thirteen years old, all our coaches we actually make them play in practice with wooden sticks for, yeah, for no. a practice mm. because it really makes marginal difference in a, in a 13, most 13 year old kids shots. And if they can play with a wooden stick, they can play with anything. So they mm. have a little bit more flex to them. Obviously they're a lot lighter, obviously, you know, but to a 13 year old, it means nothing, man. Put them in the right position. They'll, they'll, they'll play better. That's a great point. Expensive stick. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great point. Cause you, they're not getting much flex, right? No, not much torque, you know, bending it. Yeah. It makes Some a lot of kids sense. can do it a little bit, but most can't. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Such a great sport. Such a great sport. Yeah, totally. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, we didn't come here for hockey talk. But, no, uh, sorry. Yes, I got <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Tony, man, um, I, I would just love to hear, and I know the audience would, and I know many are familiar with you, but we'd just love to get to hear your start um, into sure. the market, how you first got the job. And then also, I'm curious to just the general atmosphere of what it was like in the 80s, you know, the CBOE and sure. uh, the CBOT. Sure. Um, I mean, I'll make a, a very long story, not quite as, as long for you guys. Um, I grew up not too far from your pork store there, but on the other side of the, <laughs> the river in, in Brooklyn, Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. Um, and like Jersey or Brooklyn, uh, you know, if your father's a bricklayer, you become a bricklayer. 
your father's a doctor, you become a doctor. If your father's a hoodlum, you become a hoodlum. My father wasn't a bricklayer or a doctor, so I didn't want to stay uh, in Brooklyn and, and continue that. So when I was around 17, uh, almost 18 years old, uh, just after I graduated high school, I drove my mom's Darge diplomat uh, to uh, to Chicago. And I had a cousin who um, was a like a floor manager, they called him. Um, he didn't trade, but he would manage uh, Shearson uh, Lehman Brothers, which is Shearson at the time, I believe. Um, and he got me a job with a small independent uh, market making firm called Brandt and Associates that's no longer around as part of First Options, which is still around uh, a much bigger company now, um, owned by a guy named Harry Brandt. And he had a deal because he was a, you know, a guy like everybody else in Chicago, you know, giving everybody a shot. The seats were relatively inexpensive at that time. They were about, uh, say, $300,000 and a New York seat was a million dollars. You know, I mean, 300 grand was out of my, was out of my league. I, I had about, um, I had about $300 in, in my pocket at the time. Uh, so, you know, 3000 or 300,000, it was unattainable to me at that time, but he made a deal that if you worked for the company and you saved some money, um, if you bought, if you had the opportunity to buy a seat and saved enough money um, that he would put up the other half of the money. So if a seat was 300 grand, you had to come up with 150 outside of your trading account. So you can't trade until you're 21. I became a, a runner, you know, that that uh, thing that everybody, you know, talks about, you know, what did you do? I would just carry papers from, from, the, from the desk uh, into the pit, wait for the broker or the penny broker or the dollar broker, whatever you want to call them. Um, write down the, you know, the trade, the, the order, and well, then I'd take the paper, bring it back to the desk. They would call up to another desk. And then that desk would call the customer and give them the fill that trade only took, you know, a couple of minutes, but it might take an hour before the customer really got their fill, you know, and the markets yeah. move and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, things have changed, you know, everything's instantaneous now. So it took me about three years to start, um, to save $5,000. So I needed $5,000. In my account, I had to wait till my uh, Christmas bonus to to get over that five thousand dollar number. Um, and I started trading that following year in 1983, January of 1983. Um, 21 years old, one of the oldest, one of the youngest kids on the or young men uh, on the trading floor at the time. And uh, seat lease was around three thousand dollars. So if you only have $5,000 in your account and you're not profitable the first month, you know, you are no longer in business. So it was very important to make money day after day. I, I tried to, uh, everything was in fractions back then. So mm -hmm. it was $6.25 for a tick. And I would try to make, you know, 20 ticks a day, a little over $100 after commissions and everything like that. And, you know, if there's 20 trading days in a, in a, in a month, I could make myself two grand. I'd be down at a thousand dollars, but I'd have another chance to trade the next month. Well, I was able to make, you know, 20, 40, 60 ticks a day. And then, then I started trying to make eights, you know, like, you know, try mm -hmm. to make 20, 38, you know, a couple yep. hundred bucks a day. And then before you know it, you're making $500 a day, $10,000, you know, a month. And, and I was used to making, <laughs> you know, I was used to making $600 a month. That was my exactly. pay. You know? yeah. So, you know, you start making a couple of right. grand over, over a couple hundred. And, you know, I, I hear, I hear JJ in the background going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's how you started. And exactly, uh, exactly. You know, yeah, I tried, was... I, I started a pick called superior oil, um, which was a, um, uh, oil company that got taken over and, and I could no longer trade, that product because it was being taken over by Pennzoil, I believe, back in the day. Okay. So I went to the OEX and the OEX had just started. That was the S&P 100. It was the largest capitalized pit in the world at the time. Uh, maybe wow. some some pits of the Mercantile Exchange would have a different story. But I end up, you had to make a decision whether to stay in the equities, which I was trading, or go into this new thing called an index. And I decided to go into the index and it was the best uh, best decision I made in my life. So Tony, Tony, how did you, you, you know, you said you had to wait to save up some money before you could start trading. Where, where are you, I imagine you were kind of like uh, maybe strategizing or obviously you're around the markets. You're thinking of like how you wanted to trade. Uh, I'm just curious to like, yeah, just the beginning stages and how you learned to trade. Sure. sure. So um, 
like I told you, I started out as making $600 a month. That's a true number before um, I actually lived in a, in a Northern suburb of Chicago called Highwood. And my train ticket was a hundred dollars a month. So you got $600, they take out taxes, you know, you're down to 450 or whatever, 350 after your train ticket, you know, you got to eat, you got to pay rent. Rent was like 250. I had a, you know, a hundred dollars maybe for the month to spend. So I, I wasn't gonna, that wasn't gonna survive. You know, that, that's no fun being alone in Chicago. I had no friends or anything else like that. So I started a small business. Um, back in the day, there were no computers, obviously in the eighties, everything was done on, on pieces of paper, right? You know, these, they yep. called them sheets. And yep. on Friday going into Saturday, they would print off these sheets and all the market makers would come down from the beautiful homes in the suburbs and Chicago and they would pick up their sheets and then drive back home. So, you know, there was no really FedEx or Kinko's or anything like yeah. that. So, so I said, listen, I will come down. I had a, a motorcycle. I said, I will come down and I will pick up your sheets. And if you live in the city, I'll charge you $10. And if you live in the suburbs, I'll charge you $20. Um, and I'll have your sheets delivered to you before noon on Saturday morning. Nice. And everybody wanted to do it um, all along the North shore of Chicago. Um, so I was making about $600 doing that, you know, per month, you know, a couple hundred dollars every Saturday and doubling my, you know, my existence on, on this, yeah. on this earth to give me, but the most important thing was not really the money, which really was the money, but I got to meet every one of these market makers. Uh, exactly. So when I would go to their house, you know, at 11 o'clock in the morning, you know, the wife would say, well, why don't you come in and have a cup of coffee? Or did you have breakfast? You know, everybody wants to be nice yeah. to you, you know? You're a, you're a, you're a 19 year old, you know, punk yeah. kid, you know, driving a motorcycle, riding around on a motorcycle, you know, you want to come in my pool. Like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like they would, and they would have these beautiful houses in Kenilworth. Oh yeah. Oh, it was oh, awesome. Gosh. JJ, yeah. I mean, for, for well, a kid I, from Brooklyn, I lived in somebody's basement. You know what I mean? Like I lived yeah. in the landlord's basement with my mom yeah. and my dad yeah. wasn't around at the time. Um, so it, it was, it was life changing for me just to, yeah. be around these people they say you know you're only as good as the you know the five or ten people you surround yourself with it's so fucking true um oh, I totally i totally. learned so much from them. so that's how i learned and then that's also amazing. standing on the in the in the in the pit you know yeah. uh, talking to the other runners hey i'll buy those hey i'll sell those kind of thing but yeah. it was really like you know yeah. buying or selling stock it wasn't very yeah. uh trading like it was uh, just you know betting on a team yeah, that, yeah, that's sorry. so cool. I'm I'm 55, so I I kind of had the same kind of existence, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit later than you, you know, before. I'm 61. Yeah. So yeah, it's you know it's you know like one 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 of the guys who owned a firm uh, was dating this girl, and her sisters were always hanging around. So he'd go here, take her, get her, get her out of the house, get her out of the house, go to the basketball game. You know, I'm like sitting on the floor at an NBA game. This is amazing. <laughs> so I know exactly like it. That's why uh -huh. I love. I was so anxious to get you on the show because. You know, the experiences are the same and there's not many of us left anymore. So no. that's great. Yeah. yeah, we're getting too old. <laughs> it's, a, it's a, you know, I, obviously like doing this podcast, um, we we have on a lot of people from that era. It's just such a cool era uh, of trading. Um, yeah. And it's like, I, I just love hearing the stories. It's because, you know, it's, it's just not like that anymore. Well, it was the perfect time. You know, um, you could be like, you had geniuses on the floor and you had street smart kids on the floor mm -hmm. and you had, you know, rich kids on the floor and you had cops and robbers on the floor. <laughs> uh, you had, it was just everybody and everybody was equal in one way or the other. You know, if the guy was super smart, he usually wasn't loud, boisterous and willing to put himself out there. And if the guy wasn't super smart, you know, everybody was, but he was loud and boisterous. Everybody like kind of hooked up and got their little clicks and, and friends. And, you know, the, the, what I need the public to realize is, Every good market maker, obviously there are good and bad in every profession and sport and everything else like that, but every good market maker wanted the public to make money because the only way I, as a market maker, was going to make money was mm -hmm. if the public came back in. I don't exactly. want to trade with JJ or you yeah. Or, yeah. or anybody. I want to trade with the public. So I want them yeah. to make a dollar. I want to make $3. Exactly. That's all. <laughs> Keep them trading. That yeah. seems so lost on people, though, right, Tony? I'm, I'm it assuming does. That's it why does. They think the market makers trying to rip you off, and you know, now fuck that, man. I don't, I don't need your ten dollars <laughs> today. I, I need your ten dollars every day into perpetuity. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, just got a quick, uh, take a quick uh, shout out to um, our 
sponsors of the podcast, Apex Trading and Top Step Funding. So any wow. listeners of this podcast that have the skill to pass an evaluation can become a prop trader fully funded by either Apex Trading or Top Step Funding. Our own micro e-futures trading community now has many members who are now fully funded. No need to trade your own money. Keep 90% of the profits. To learn more, visit our website at microefutures.com. Uh, Tony, um, yep. a question I like asking, you know, people who come from like the floor days, um, I think it's pre pretty obvious, you know, like the, the transition into the electronic trading. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, you know, personally, how was it for you or, you know, just, I guess, general observations on the yeah. transition? Um, like, like all things new from like, uh, from 1983 to, I, I was pretty successful right away. I mean, uh, but every, you know, one investor's floor is another investor's ceiling. You know what I mean? So what mm -hmm. everybody else thinks is, is real successful might not be and, and vice versa. But on the day of the crash in 1987, um, I was able to buy my seat, uh, the day of the crash, legit, the seats went from 360 to 260 or 250. Mm -hmm. I had a 260 bid in. I, I got filled on my seat, but I thought the, the business was going to be gone. So I really wanted to cancel uh, buying my seat, but you know, you're not allowed to, uh, you know, it's a, it's like a binding bidder offer as a market maker. Mm -hmm. You gotta, you gotta take the, you gotta take the hit. I could try to sell it. There were no bids for it at the time because everybody thought the seats were going to go, go bankrupt. But when the market rebounded the following week, the seats were 360 grand within two wow. weeks. So yeah. So I made a hundred thousand or I had a hundred thousand profit in paper on that seat, but I was never selling that seat. That seat to me was, you know, my ticket out of Brooklyn, my, my family's legacy. You know, there was always going to be a Batista on the floor of the, the CBOE. I had finally made it. I had bought my pork store, uh, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Kind of thing. You know, I, it, it was, it was a dream come true for me that I didn't know I had when I was a kid, that this is what I, you know, wanted to do. Um, but soon quickly thereafter, you know, and I'm talking about quickly, maybe, you know, 10 years later in the late nineties, um, I started running into guys that would have like computers around their necks. Mm. The first mm. thing we saw before the computers was they would have these boxes um, on their decks, on their desks, and they would have green, yellow, red, blue colors on them. And as the colors moved, all of a sudden, these traders that worked for this firm would be lifting bids or hitting offers. And, you know, I'd watch these colors and nothing would be going on in the market. And then all of a sudden, something would happen in the market. So they had traders at the Mercantile Exchange. They had traders in Europe. And as they were buying or selling vol at those places at a lower price than we had it, if they were buying vol cheap, they would start selling vol at the, at the OEX. If they were selling vol high at these other institutions like the, the Mercantile Exchange, they would start buying it over here at the CBOE. So it started, computers started changing the market pretty quickly. But I liked it because if somebody's paying my offer, I can go and buy something else typically close to the bid and I'd have a nice spread on and then I would mm -hmm. work that spread. And yeah. I, it was a very easy way to make money off of these people because it wasn't efficient. They were mm -hmm. buying one or two option series and there was 50 other, you know, better value that they weren't looking at that I could hedge the trades I was doing with them. Because you got to remember, markets weren't one penny wide like they are today. Yeah. <laughs> $50 wide, you know, yeah. a market would be $7, $7.50. If somebody's paying $7.50, you know, I could buy a spread that's theoretically worth $2 at $1.80 or $1.75 and yeah. sell it to these idiots at $2.25. <laughs> but they're worth $2.50. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so yeah. who's the idiot? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, I was the idiot, probably. Um, but <laughs> yeah, those big spreads you could drive a truck through those spreads. oh there was so it was so much fun it really really was if you if you could tell me two options back in the day any two options i could basically price every other option on the board because i just looked at each one of the spreads you just break it down into its smallest uh denomination and you could basically come up with a, a mid price that's that's pretty close at least back in the day when markets were very very wide Today it's a it's a different story, but uh, to answer your question about like computers, once these boxes were there, then they started putting the computers on their on their like they actually had like a uh, like a belt around their necks and they would carry this computer like a like a like a, you would have somebody in Vegas uh, holding cigars and and cigarettes <laughs> back in the day, <laughs> and we 
before well before that you had sheet monkeys these guys that have like these these like scrolls they would have these scrolls and they would scroll <laughs> through all the different like months it was they were so slow you know yeah. i would make a market seven seven fifty and i'd buy them at seven dollars and then by the time they got to their sheets they go well i'm 725 bid now that's 250 dollars on every 10 lot you know okay. if i bought a hundred of them it was twenty five hundred dollars in you know, a minute yeah. or two, and the market didn't move. The market may have actually gone the other direction. He goes, well, well I'm 725 bid. I go, for how many? And he go, like, for 200. And then I'd go buy some other options here, and I'd put on a spread. I go, I'll sell you 200. And I would have locked in $2,500 before I even sold Ooh. my spread to these sheep monkeys. So <laughs> you're more of an ape, JJ, than a monkey, right? <laughs> right? I mean, orangutan? What is that? Oh, no. Hey, listen, when I, my first job was I was a phone chimp. You know, I was the, you know, phone solicitor, you know, sure. in a, you know, for penny stock boiler room. So, you yeah, know, been, you know how it goes. Oh, they yeah. Call, he, he's a gorilla. They call him the gorilla. The gorilla he's, he's a silverback gorilla. I got he, it. I got he's it. a big man. He's a big man. I know we can't see him, but he, he's a big man. That's good. Way. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went from, I went from bouncer to, to trader. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So, it's, yeah. hey, that's the, that's that, that side of the equation. And then there were the other guys on the other side yeah. of the equation. Yeah. Um, so after the sheet monkeys and the boxes then became these guys that had these like straps around the, the computers around them. Then they were really quick because they could see everything and scroll and, you know, basically had almost a touch screen, like a rudimental touch screen back oh, in wow. the day. So they got a lot quicker and, you know, then they also got a lot smarter. Like, you know, if the market was seven, seven fifty and they saw I paid $7 for something, you know, he, instead of saying his true bid, which might've been seven a quarter or seven forty. Yeah. He would say, I'm 710 bid, you know, or seven and, yeah. and back in that day, seven and, and an eighth or a quarter bid. You know, what do you want to do? And, you know, I'd make less money, but, you know, everybody's trying to win because their bonuses were based on how much under oh, they yeah. could buy these options. Mm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Interesting. But, but it, ru it ru I didn't know it at the time. It ruined my business because a trader with a couple hundred thousand dollars in his account or a million dollars even in his account, you know, I was going against now groups and funds that had mm. you know hundreds of of millions of dollars against them yeah. and they commoditized the market commoditized the markets and made them very very tight and kind of ruined my game i lasted until 2005 so i lasted That's... a long time i mean i in the oex when i left there was about 35 40 traders and we had about 500 when i you know at its peak so I lasted a long time. I just had to take a lot more risk, and the risk wasn't. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't. An, it wasn't a multiple of X worth it. Meaning, if back in the day, in you know eighty three, four, and five, I risked one X to make two X, now I had to risk ten X to make two X. Mm -hmm. It was. It was. You know, not not as fun. Not as fun. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, before before we make the transition sure. uh, from from there. Um, I always wanted to see, and I know you probably have a million stories, sure. but I'm just, I'm just curious if there's, you know, maybe an unbelievable, crazy story, uh, from the floor days that maybe just one that sticks out in your mind. Well, I mean, it has to go back to the 87 crash. And, and I actually, um, you said I was part of the arbitration committee and I was part of the arbitration committee, but I had to go in front of the arbitration committee because, um, I made a market on some puts and I didn't realize it at the time because I was just making markets against other options that I was buying and selling. Like I told you from the beginning of my story yeah. um, that were mathematically impossible to be in the money, even if the market went to zero. So there was no way. So I made a market like on, on a hundred, like if the option was, was the hundred strike, I gave them a market and I gave them two sides, but markets were deep and wide. Yeah. And I don't remember the market I gave him, but let's just say for argument's sakes, I gave him a stupid market. Like I was $95 bid, yeah. meaning it can only, it can, it can only, it can go to zero. So I can lose $95. It can only go to a hundred. So I can only make $5. So I gave him like a market 95, 150. They can't go to 150. It can only go to a hundred. Yeah. And they bought them from me at 150. Wow. So like, you know, so my argument was, well, well, if there was a better market, then the broker would have would have taken, taken somebody it. else's exactly. offer or hit my bid. I mean, you know, exactly. I mean, yeah. But so wow. I, I made a market on an option that was theoretically impossible to lose money on. It was the only guaranteed trade 
I've seen in my 40 plus years of trading. Yeah. So what was the outcome of the, the arbitration meeting? Like what? I, I had to adjust the price and it ended up costing me some money, but it was <laughs> de minimis in its nature of, of how much money I made on that day. So it was, yeah. it was a win-win for everybody. The customer was happy or um, <laughs> I was less happy and it was win-win for everyone. <laughs> excellent. But I, excellent. They, they ruled against me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, so, so you said you lasted to about 2005. That's correct. So 2005 hits. Uh, what's, what's next for Tony? Yeah. Um, a lot, a lot of change. Um, I started an online, um, I started an online business where I was selling like diet patches, um, and, and pills, uh, that were made in Florida, not too far from where, <laughs> from where you are. Um, and I got into like a multi-tier uh, marketing scheme, uh, I guess you would, would call it, where um, uh, I would sell these diet patches and pills for let's say $50 a bottle or something like that. And it would cost me, you know, you know, $10 to make them and $20 to sell them. So every bottle that I sold, I made 20 bucks. So I was highly capitalized at the time. So I went out and went this multi-tier marketing. I didn't really know anything about it, but they basically put you as the number one. If somebody searches diet, pills, mm. trading, anything they searched, you were the first one up there. And okay. somebody clicked on it and bought from you. I was making 20 bucks every time somebody did that. So it's only a matter of like, you know, if you're making $20 on every, every trade you do, how many trades you want to mm. make, you want to make as many yeah. as you can. Yeah. So I threw a lot of money at these multi-tier marketing guys that were kind of scammy and scummy. Um, and I had, uh, you know, a million dollars in, in sales, my first, uh, my first year, but I couldn't collect the money because the money was in the Philippines with, uh -oh. I, I was dealing with somebody in Arizona. I was uh -oh. dealing with somebody in the Philippines and I don't want to make a long story short, <laughs> but it cost me, uh, it cost me seven figures. Oh, oh man. So, and, and a couple of years of my life. And, yeah. uh, you know, and my wife wasn't at the time happy with me. So, you know, she yeah. decided to to bail on me there. And mm -hmm. um, so, so the end of trading for me was uh, bittersweet. You know, I thought I had the great business that was coming and I found yeah. that I was getting scammed because I did not know what I was doing uh, in the online world in, in that sure. time. Sure. And um, end up getting divorced, not just because of that. I mean, I was probably not the best husband either. So uh there was there was that too um so i found myself in a in a in a state of flux uh after that still trading um mm -hmm. you know up to 2005 and then doing that and tom had started uh, tom sasnoff had started a company called uh thinkorswim and he had asked me to come on very early on he actually asked me to put some money in the company i didn't think he knew what the fuck he was doing so i said <laughs> i ain't putting oh, money in that piece of shit um that was a big mistake um so i ended up i ended up after uh, turning him down two or three times uh, to work for him because I said, I got to do my own thing and I'm doing well. You know, I don't want to work for you. I've never worked for anybody my entire life. You know, from 1983 to 2005, 2007, I never worked for anybody. I never had a paycheck, right? You know, if I made money that day, I kept it. If I lost money, I had to give it back. So I wasn't going to go work for, for a guy I played softball with. You know what I mean? And it was a friend mm -hmm. of uh, 20 some odd years back then. Um, but then I went with my tail between my legs and I said, hey, I you know, I need a freaking job, you know. He give me a job. He goes, you know, you're qualified, but I can't pay you what you want. So, you know, I, I can pay you this. And, you know, we're, we're in, we're in talks about selling the company and I can give you some stock and stuff like that. Maybe that'll help you out a little bit, you know, down the road, possibly if we sell the company. And uh, I took the job and ended up working my way through the company. There it was a great thing. He treated me phenomenally. And I mean, we're still partners to, to today at Tasty yeah. Trade. Tasty yeah. trade, yeah. Shout out, shout out to Tom. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a hell of a. I mean, he's a good trader. I mean, I'm way better than him. I made more money than him in 1987. I consistently do better than him on a per contract <laughs> basis. But he is a hell of a fucking businessman. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, he taught, he taught me a lot. He's he's a genius. He's a genius yeah. when it comes to that. Yeah, that's what really st stuck out to me oh, uh, during our conversation. Kidding. Yeah, it's sharp yeah. businessman, and and even yourself, yeah. uh, always been entrepreneur, oh. huh? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, like I go, I, it goes back to when I was selling Jordache jeans two for twenty dollars <laughs> at the trunk of my car. You know, uh, yeah. 
was New Yorkers for you right there. Yeah, yeah exactly. I fell off the truck in the by the Fort Apache, the Bronx, and the and the docks in Brooklyn. <laughs> um. God, I guess I got so much stuff. Uh, t- Tony, I was just, you know, while we brought up New York, uh, when's the last time you've been, uh, or Tom, sorry, Tony, uh, when's yeah. the last time you've been to uh, New York? Any thought, like, I know a lot of people are like, you know, I got family, like, ah, oh, New York's not what it was before, yeah. you know, I, what are your thoughts on New York? My my mom passed uh, about six years ago, and, and that was my real last connection there. She was the youngest of her family, so, you know, all the aunts and uncles have kind of kind of moved on. There's some cousins there, but we were like the the black sheep of the family. Cause my dad was a knock around guy and, you know, wasn't really, uh, you know, one, one of the, one of the nicer people, uh, in, in the family. Um, so we, we weren't very close with it. I didn't have a big family at the time. Um, so last time I was really there was about five or six years ago when my mom passed and prior to that, you know, mom kept the, kept the, the family, you know, like a little closer knit, but I, I haven't been back in, about six years. I haven't even visited my mom, which is sad. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so when's, when's the first time you met Tom? You, uh... We were, it, it was like, he stood on the other side of the pit from me. So I stared at him every day and he stared at me every day. And, you know, the pit was probably 20-ish yards, maybe a little bit more from the two spots that we were in. So I knew him from the pit. And then we, they organized the softball team um, I think you had JJ on the show, uh, JJ Keenahan and, uh, and, and Tom and, uh, Scott Sheridan, uh, we all organized the softball team. So we all got together and played softball and I met him really on the softball, uh, diamond, you know, for, I got to know him, you know, you go out to eat afterwards, you go have lunch, breakfast, whatever. And it, we forged a, forged a relationship from there. And then we would play cards every day. Okay. So like, you know, like around 11 o'clock when, you know, 10, 11 o'clock when things would get a little slow, we'd go upstairs and play, you know, gin or something like that upstairs and, uh, you know, be, be, be degenerates together. Yeah. 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 Fun, fun. I, yeah. I, I haven't, I haven't asked any of the Chicago guys. Oh, sorry, JJ, if you're trying so to about 1983, in. 1984 to answer your question. Okay. Um, okay. We, we talked to some of the New York guys and, and I know a lot of them would maybe like go play poker uh, mm-hmm. at night, some underground. Was, was uh, Chicago much of a poker scene with you guys or not too much? No, that, uh, no, not, not really at all. Like not like organized, um, like, like underground poker, like you would have maybe in the back of a pork store or something like that. Chicago <laughs> had those places, but not, um, not that, that we knew of. Um it was very hard. You had to go to Vegas, you know, maybe a little bit in Jersey if you wanted to, but you really had to go to Vegas to do that. Cause we would go on junkets. They would call them. They would like, you know, basically rent a plane for us. And, you know, you'd be you and maybe 10 or 15 of your friends and, you know, 20 other acquaintances that you just met on the plane. And we would all go to Vegas together. That kind of thing. It was a, it was a shit ton of fun. I, I bet it was. <laughs> it really was. It really was. I bet it was, man. Oh man. That's awesome. It was. Um, it was. Yeah. So I had, so I had someone, um, wanted me to ask you, uh, yeah. you know, while we brought up Tom, um, is what, what's something unusual, um, or funny about Tom that the general public doesn't know about him? Um, he chews pills like he can't swallow <laughs> an aspirin. <laughs> he fucking chews them, dude. <laughs> like heart medicine, like when he was having his heart problem, he's chewing them. I mean, you ever you ever chew yeah. like an ant? It's disgusting. Disgusting, it yeah, dis- absolutely. Yeah. Like he'll put it in, he'll like a baby, he'll put it in like applesauce, like you know. And <laughs> it's and he's gotten so used to it that like you know, like when he was you know when he's sick or whatever, like he'll just chew them. I'm like, well, like in between the show, I'm like, that's the most babyish, manly thing I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, it would be a torture to me. That's funny. Yeah, that's pretty it's, good, right? That that is that's interesting. That's I, I guess one. we all. That's I guess we all. You don't our... you don't get that one unless you slept with Tom. Okay, that's the only <laughs> way you find, feel that one. <laughs> We've shared rooms. <laughs> that's oh, funny. Man. That's that funny. That, I guess we all have our uh, uh, peculiar peculiarity. I mean, I just wish he was into feet or something like that. You know, to know that he, <laughs> to, to know that he chooses chooses aspirins is a little fucked up. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Okay. All right. So, uh, Tony, so, you know, current day, um, so they have, they have your specialties right on, on the tasty trade website is uh, uh-huh. derivative trading, uh, using stocks, options, futures. Um, yeah, just, you know, just curious if you just expand on, uh, what's your, your, uh, current day trading, 
uh, looks like. Sure. Um, it's a lot less active. I mean, listen, back in the day, you know, we were trading, you know, three, 4,000 contracts a day on the floor of the CBOE. And you know, then, then I went to the board of trade for about six months where they beat the shit out of me. Um, and I was so happy to get out of, get out of there. I was trading bonds. They, those guys are, I thought I was a great uh, scalper and uh, at the CBOE. And I figured, you know, Hey, the biggest market in the world, they said was the bond market. You're only trading one thing. How bad can it be? Those guys were so much better than me. They were so much quicker and the size was just so huge. Um, I had my biggest swings up and down there. I did not enjoy it. It took me six months to get back to even, and I couldn't wait to get, to get my ass out of there and back to the CBOE. Um, but for me now, you know, it's a lot, you know, doing the show occupies a lot of my time. I trade throughout the day while I'm doing the show. So I probably, I mean, I show about maybe four or five trades a day. I probably average about 15 uh, trades a day. Tom averages more like 80 trades a day. Uh, we made a decision when we started the show that, you know, listen, if, you know, if Tom's doing a strangle in Tesla and, you know, I buy a vertical spread or just buy options or just sell options or or do something a little bit more complex or something less complex. But it would just confuse the audience. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we really like I only trade on Tuesdays and Thursdays that I show the audience and Tom trades all day long every day uh, during the show. So my trading has become a lot less. I do some scalping at night. You know, when the markets are moving, we've got a, a lot less of that at night now. You know, during COVID, it was a lot, a lot greater, a lot easier, at least for me. Um so my trading has has come down a little bit. It's much more, you know, customer support and answering people and stuff like that. It's a lot, a uh, lot more forward facing to the customer than it is my own trading these days. Sure, sure. All right, I got um, I got a couple. But we trade uh, all our own money, and everything we do is out there, and and we do it all day long. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, so I got another listener question here. Sure. Um, and it's around options. Um, and it, and it's um. So the question is, uh, most traders tend to look at unusual options activity uh, that the underlying stock is going to move up or down based on increased options volume one way or another. Um, so the question is, is this a good way to look at such or is this a bad way for a retail trader to try and guess what the unusual options activity means to the underlying? Listen, power is knowledge. Uh, I don't know if it's good knowledge or bad knowledge, just broad based. And I'm going to answer your question. So if it, and if it's helping you, like if you found success in it, whatever the hell I say, to don't listen to, do what you're doing. Cause if it keeps, if it's working, keep doing it. And then if it doesn't work, keep doing it a couple more times just to make sure it's you and not whatever you're, you're looking at. Um, I would challenge the customer to say, which side is the smart money? You know, it's, you know, if you see uh, there's no options trading and all of a sudden 5,000 trade on the offer, you know, a grandmother from, from Iowa is not selling 5,000 contracts. Somebody else is doing them. Is, is that the smart money or is that the stupid money? Like, and who are the stupid money? Cause I want to meet them. Right. So I, I get it. Some things are good to know. Some things make you money. I don't think that's something that can consistently make you money. I'm not saying that, you know, you'll notice that unusual activity. And then all of a sudden, two, three days later, I'll go to the upside, the stock pops and there's your validation. There's probably a hundred times when it happens that you have this unusual option activity and nothing happens and you lose everything on it. So I don't think it's a viable, long-term, successful way of doing things. But if it gets you involved in the markets and it teaches you a little bit about the markets and it teaches you strategies as opposed to just buying ABC option because somebody else did or selling it because somebody else did, there's always two sides to a trade. There's a buyer and a seller. Which one's a smart one? Plus, you don't know what they're doing on the other side. Mm -hmm. You know, they could have a portfolio of long stock, a, a, a billion dollars worth of long stock, and they mm -hmm. want to protect some of the downside because they're uncertain. Because just like you and I, it's a 50 50 shot where the stock goes up or down and they buy 10,000 puts. You know, it, it doesn't mean they want the market to go down. They actually want to lose money on those puts. But it's it's hard to, I guess, in a, if I can answer it a little bit better. I would say if you could find an illiquid stock that had unusual option activity, I too might say that maybe there's something going on there. Mm, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Just, it's like anything else. It's just another data point maybe to consider. Uh, into hey, you trade. know what, if you've done, I'm not a chartist, but if you've done your charts and you're bullish on this stock and you've been watching it, it's getting a little bit beat up and all of a sudden you see some unusual option activity if it yeah. gets you to click the button to make the bullish trade and you win on it, you know, God bless all power to you. 
Yep. Yep. Absolutely. But don't use uh, it as just one indicator. Like right. That. Maybe something within confluence with other things you do. I, I think that makes sense. Plenty yeah. of sense. Yeah. Um, all right, Tony. Um, so I had another question here about the uh the zero TDE. Zero uh, damages, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've heard some people kind of, you know, equate this to like a parlay sports betting, um, you know, to kind of I guess like play on a you know, traders gambling tendencies mentality i guess we just wanted to get your thoughts um on these yeah um i was kind of bearish on them when they first came out i didn't think they for the, all the reasons you just mentioned i didn't think they'd be good for the public and i'm a premium seller which uses a lot more buying power a lot more capital than mm -hmm. most people are able to do on a consistent basis so i understand that too you know to sell an option it might cost you five thousand dollars in buying power you know to buy an option it might cost you two three four five hundred dollars in buying power i get the allure of buying options on zero-day options, I see the benefit of buying options, and I see the benefit of 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 having long, like like negative theta decay in your portfolio for zero-day options. We've done things like butterflies in zero-day options. I think that's a great way of of trading zero-day options with defined risk if you don't want to outright buy. Um, I love vertical spreads, buying a couple of strikes in the money, selling a couple of strikes out of the money. I hate openly just buying an option. I, I don't think I think most investors get shake, you know, shaken out, you know, where they buy an option for a dollar that's never going to become in the money. You, know, you got to buy something close to at the money or around the money or inside the standard deviation so that at least the math model works for you. Um, I love buying back month options and even selling uh, zero day options further out of the money. So like if a stock is a hundred um, or the SPY just for argument sakes is a hundred, we use round numbers. You buy the 95 in a, in a, a you know, five, six, seven day uh, time frame, and you sell the one Oh two, three or four um, in the front month, even on a ratio, if you could, or a ratio spread where you sell, you know, a, you buy one, two or three in the back month and you sell four five or six spreads in the front month where you have a long delta bias if you think you're you're bullish on it. I like stuff like that. Um so I see the allure of them. I see the I see the benefit of them more than anything else. Um but it, you really have to be strategy. You can't be a cowboy at least in my opinion. I've never been able to pick direction, uh, you know, consistently. You can't be a cowboy and just buy or just sell um the options. You got to be strategic with them. Yep. Yep, for sure. Um all right, Tony, do you have um, you know, people love the uh the the macro, the general, you know, the macro economic talk. Do you have, do you have any thoughts? Um, I guess on the overall picture currently, I, pe I peaked in eighth grade. Maybe JJ can, uh, <laughs> can, 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 uh, can relate to me. Um, totally. I, I was boy leader of Arister and Archon, which is the honor society in eighth grade, uh, in New York. It's only really, I think on the East coast or in New York that they even have such a secret society. Um, you get a pin, <laughs> Uh, when you're the when when you're the boy leader of that, um, and that's basically when I peaked. So I don't know no fucking macro views, man. <laughs> you know, my my son went to went to college and became like you know a pseudo um, economic, economic advisor. You know, degree. <laughs> it's all fucking bullshit to me. Like I I don't it's it, I don't I don't see the I don't see the benefit of it. Yeah. Um, but again. If it gets gives you confidence, trading is confidence, man. That's mm, trading sure. is all about confidence. And yeah. the best traders, you know, look like the silverback gorilla. They have confidence in what they're doing. And if you have confidence because of a macro or 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 micro number, it doesn't matter to me as long as it gives you the confidence, all the power to you. Go for it, man. You know, listen, it's still it's still America. I I don't care how you got here. But it really is how you end the race, not how you start the race. So make sure that you're consistent in your approach. And if you're consistent in your approach and you've got the math on your side, you know, in the end, you usually have an opportunity to make money. Mm -hmm. I love it. That That's the best answer we've had, Tony, because I... I... I don't know shit about it either. <laughs> and I, I hear, I I swear, I, I, I feel like most of these people like uh, talking about, I don't know. Well, you know, it's it's just, and I don't want to poo-poo charts because if I grew up where I wasn't a market maker and I was looking at charts, I would show you the charts that work for me because yeah. over time you find what your risk tolerance is. You know, exactly. you, can, you know, the whole thing is, you know, you can show ten chart, you know, ten people who chart stocks, 
10 different charts and they'll all come up with a different answer because a different time frame, different cycle, you know, but it works for them. Or maybe it doesn't, you know, but, but, but that's what they look at. Mm-hmm. I, I, to me, you get the same thing. You know, you get a macro view. You give it to ten different people of ten different time frames, and, uh, and I feel like it's evolving too. I feel like it's like constantly evolving, and like these people want to cite like uh, how long has the, the real study of economics even gone on for? Like, you know, I question the sample of it, but I don't know. I'm a nobody, so I don't even know if that makes sense. But you know, listen, that's... I had a I had a guy in the office, um, a young young kid who. Um, Made made some big cash and, and blew it all, but made some big cash during the meme stock uh, oh, sure, era, yeah. mm-hmm. which I didn't make any money on. Okay, I'll, full disclosure: I didn't lose any money. I made nothing. It was not worth my was not worth my aggravation because I looked at things logically the way I had as a trader. So I was fighting it the whole time. Yeah, sure. Where he would say, if it was on the Yahoo billboard front page, you had to buy those. <laughs> and if it was on the back pages, you had to sell those. And wow. it worked 95% of the time. And, you know, he went from like, you know, a small amount of money to a large amount of money to no money in, you know, a year or two. You know, I mean, it was That's so a long. It, it works until it doesn't work. It's you know a long I mean? run game though, Tony, right? You know, I, you know, I remember yeah, I've been doing it this... for 40, hey, I've been doing it for 40 years. It's how I supported yeah. my family until we started yeah. Tasty Trade. I mean, you know, full disclosure, I, you know, I'm, 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 I was the first of eight people at Tasty Trade. I started Tasty Trade with Tom. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an insider. Uh, you know, I, it, my, 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 my role is different now than it was. But from 1983 to yeah. 2007, I never had a paycheck. So yeah. it's a long run game, man. I, you know, you bring up that era, the the meme stock yeah. era, and um, I couldn't bring myself, Tony, because you know, I, ha- I come from a gambling background, and. Yeah. And maybe it's similar, you know, I've heard some people relate, you know, sports books uh, similar to market making and stuff like that. And, and um, like, I'm trained to fade the public <laughs> a, a lot yeah. of the time, you know what I mean? And so that's when I see I like, a bunch of these kids are buying this stuff and I'm like, that's not sharp money. Like right. that's, uh, that's not sharp money. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, not and like you way. said, you might, you might get hot for a little bit, but it's a long yeah. run game. You can, it's not sustainable. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Feel the same way. Yeah. It was, I've never, I've. I, you know, I've been a liquidity guy for years and I've never seen the liquidity of when the street took those stocks. You know, some of those deals were trading like 11, $12 billion worth of dollar volume every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would just sit there going, oh my God, where were you guys when I had 150 million shares of crap to get rid of? Oh my God, you know, I could have used these guys, you know? <laughs> I mean- I, I'm watching these guys. I'm like, I would have, you know, for 1% of that dollar volume, a hundred million dollar a day for like five days, you're done. You know, just sell everything you own into that and walk away. I just, I was just, it just blew my mind um, at the the waves of buying that came in, you know, as, as an equity guy. Yeah. I, I just, uh, I, I've never seen anything like that. I think we're living through some markets and I was going to ask you, you know, these markets, the way they trade now, the ranges in the S in the ES, uh, how thin these markets are. The you know, watching Microsoft, you know, Apple, sixteen billion shares in the float. It trades less than a hundred million shares a day. Yeah. I mean, if BlackRock sneezed, you know, Apple would be five bucks bid. There's you know, they're they're so long they can't sell. Yeah, you yeah, know? right. They're so long they can't sell. I've never seen anything like this in in 30 years, and you've got 10 more than me. <laughs> it's just amazing, you know. They they blow me away these markets. Yeah, but the games change, JJ. There's so many yeah. like um, uh, I'll call them like derivative pools now that they offset mm. a lot of these trades off the market. Now, hey, yeah. I agree with you 100. If you go to the market with the liquidity, most most trades don't even hit the the the, the exchanges pitch. anymore. You know what yeah. I mean? They're all done yeah. off floor. So, yeah. I mean, the game is changing, evolving, man. You know, you can't be you can't be a gorilla anymore. You got to start no. standing upright. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to adapt. <laughs> we all did. We all did, man. We all did. And oh. and coming to that, I just wanted to say, um, you, the reason why we have this podcast is because of you and Tom and the folks at Shadow Trader. Um, after my heart attack, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. I picked up a book on candlestick charting and I got a headache. I didn't know how to read these things. I can build a chart, you know, to get retail to come buy my crappy stock, but I couldn't read a chart. And you guys, 
you know, were the only guys that I identified with because you were like the guys who taught me the business, you know, the older floor traders, they're sure. the ones who, who taught me. So I just gravitated and I was just watching tasty trade after my heart attack, you know, and then this is I'm how surprised you didn't get another one. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, I'm, I'm really, really so grateful for you guys you, and how Thanks. you're, and not just me, you've changed other people's lives and made them, you know, be able to like learn this crazy business and actually make a buck. And you know not, you know, it's not private jet money, but you're making, you're paying your light bill, you're paying your mortgage. And that's really important. Exactly. And, thank and you. Thank we're you. We're grateful. Yeah. And, uh, my ex, thank you for the kind words. My ex-wife might have other kind words than, than the ones that you shared, <laughs> but I appreciate, I appreciate those. I feel like my present wife would have the same thing that you said. So I, <laughs> I appreciate, I appreciate that. Yeah, man, you know, listen, I think why people like us is I don't have an agenda. I'm not selling anything to you, you know, which is nothing wrong with selling people your, your knowledge. We do it in a soft sell way. I want you to open up an account at my brokerage firm, tasty trade, which is just like uh think or swim, E-Trade, Charles Schwab, or whatever brokerage firms are left. You know, you need access to trade. I hope you watch what we do and you use my brokerage firm. That's how you help pay me. That's how you pay me back. Everything else after that, like, you know, if I say, I love ABC stock and I'm going to do this. And you go, God, I hate it. I want to do the complete opposite. You know, go right ahead. It goes right back to the trading floor mentality as a market maker. Hopefully it goes my direction for a day or two. And then it goes your direction for a week. And we both make money and everybody's happy. And you used my brokerage firm. And then it's a win, win, win for everyone. You know, so it doesn't matter to me. So I don't have an agenda. For sure, for sure. And it's it's cool too, man. Like you guys are just like guys from the block. You know, you guys are personable guys. And I think that's too why you guys, you know, people like you guys. Well, we're capitalized, so we're able to do that for free. You know, listen, yeah. everybody's got to make a dollar. I don't, you know, you can't fault somebody that has knowledge. And, you know, sometimes when you give it away, it's perceived as being shitty knowledge, right? You know, yeah. if you charge $10,000 for something, it's perceived, you know, any business person, yeah. you know, or or psychologist will tell you that $10,000 is better than, than zero, you know, because it must be worth something. So I get it, man. I get it. It's, I get it. I get it. Everybody's just trying to make a buck. Mm -hmm. all right tony mm -hmm. i got i yeah. got one i got one thing to ask you here um yeah. and we'll let you go unless jj unless you got other things i got, I got one one question sure, man. Go, ahead, go ahead I'm, go, ahead, go ahead i was just wondering now I, I remember when you guys came up with the smalls yeah and and the creation of product to go from a trader to trading product to actually creating product yeah that i thought was that is one of the coolest things and we don't have you know people on this show, we, you know, we have traders and we have businessmen and, and that's wonderful, but to actually create an exchange traded product and an exchange in itself. Yeah. Um, I found that was just, you know, that's like the top of the summit. Um, you know, do you guys have anything that you've sold at, but are you, well, we actually, to... we actually bought it back. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. yeah. Cool. Yeah. About a, uh, about a year or so ago, the company that bought it from us, um, had a little bit of financial issues, still doing fine, but they wanted to get, they wanted to get rid of it. They couldn't, monetize it the way they wanted to so i can't disclose what we bought it back for but we bought it back at a, a very reasonable price uh for mm -hmm. us so we bought it back but we have to change the products the products were absolutely fantastic and phenomenal but we could not get the exchanges to support them yeah. like you know the mercantile exchange and the cboe they don't want to let anybody else in yeah so, and i've got to give that brainchild to tom that was his idea the small exchange Donnie Roberts, you know, did all the back end and, and ran it and ran it well. They did a great job with it. But it ultimately was the exchange licenses were probably worth more than the business. Mm -hmm. So when we bought the licenses back, we are bringing it back. It's probably going to be back in January, maybe the latest in February. But JJ, you're going to love it. We created cool. a completely different model, completely okay. different products that were on the small exchange. I, I can't. Um, yep. we I understand everything, but JJ, you're going to become a market maker again. That's beautiful. <laughs> well, I understand compliance, you know, and, and gone are the days where we could bribe our compliance officers like the yep. old days, yep. but yep. you know, so we're, we're, we're waiting. We're anxious because, you know, I just, I don't know if it's JJ. I don't know if it's going to work. It's out there. Hey, the here is out there, man. It's you out there. It's, it's, it's the, the small exchange, you know, uh, everything equal in a hundred dollars was brilliant and beautiful because futures are so fucked up, you know, one future equals a 32nd, another one equals a 64th, you know, yeah. they expire on different days. It's all <laughs> fucked up. It, it was beautiful in simplicity. This exactly. is a little bit more convoluted, 
but yeah. I think the public is going to love it who like to trade, like the trader Perfect. traders. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Perfect. We'll see. Oh, that's great. That's great. I've, I've, I've always just amazed at, you know, an exchange from the compliance and the back end and the plumbing of it all. It's just, you know, it's, that's, it's that's a tough fun. business. Man. There's yeah. a reason, there's a reason why there's only three or four exchanges. Yeah. Because mm. they're money makers. Yeah. So if they're, if it's like anything, like, you know, if, 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 um, if uh, cannabis stores make money, you see them on every street corner, just like you see them on every street corner. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, banks make money. You see them on every street corner. Exchanges yeah. make a shit ton of money. <laughs> you don't see them on every corner because exactly. it's very, very hard to get the licenses, very, very hard to to get into the business, you know, the, to break into the business. Mm -hmm. yeah. right, well, we're, we're going to be on the lookout. Look out mm -hmm. for that, Tony. Yep. Um, I was I was pretty stunned when I asked Tom, right? I, I asked him. New York or Chicago pizza? I think I think he responded Chicago pizza. I was pretty stunned. Uh, what about you, Tony? Uh, he's not he, he's not the brightest man. I mean, he's a good <laughs> businessman, and he knows food. I mean, he knows food, but sometimes he just says stupid shit, right? I mean, there's nothing better than New York pizza. Chicago pizza has gotten much better. Like deep dish pizza, I don't think is what Tom was talking about. There okay. are other great pizza joints, you know. Just like you can trade in a nanosecond these days when you can only trade in Chicago or New York, maybe Kansas City and the Picos back in the day. You know, it's got pizza's gotten commoditized. There's great pizza everywhere. I think actually I've read places say that California has the best pizza now. So uh, but between the two for me, LB Spumoni Gardens is the only place to get pizza. It's a square Sicilian slice. And then John's on Bleecker Street if you want the traditional New York style square, uh, New York style triangle pizza. Uh, John's on Bleecker Street. That's the only ones. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. You know, there, there's some good pizza joints down here in Florida, man. Uh, you know, we're, 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 so I just, I'm, I'm down in Cape Coral uh, half the time these days. Well, not half the time, maybe like a, an eighth of the time, but I want to get down there a half of the time. Where are you? Okay. West I mean, Coast I, or East Coast? Uh, East Coast. East Coast. I'm uh, West Palm Beach, West Palm Beach gotcha. area. My sister's there. Oh, I didn't even tell you this. I, I and I don't want to get into it with you guys because nothing to do with trading. But um, I was I was an only child. Uh, my father had two children from a previous marriage that I never knew. My daughter does a twenty three and me, and I now have oh, okay. five. I'm the middle of five. I thought I was an only child. I have wow. two older. One's passed, and I got two younger. So you never know what life That's brings it. you, man. You That's never know what life brings you. Uh, you know, you, you I've know, got you a sister in West Palm. Oh, okay, cool, cool. You, you, bring, you know, you bring you bring up the uh, the twenty three and Me. Uh, you know, my sister, my sister did that, and it was, it was fascinating to see where the family is and from uh, from Italy, and uh, sure. Sure. Uh, it was it was fascinating. And then just some of the other like mingled uh, ethnicities. Yeah, like uh, like Tom did twenty three and Me. He's all you know, like like Russian, you know, Jew, like up in the Jewish, up in the you know the 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 the, the um. Uh, what do you call it? Like that that belt where there's all the wheat and stuff like that. Like his his family were conquerors, like probably yours and my family was. So you know, I might have a little Greek in me. I might have a strong <laughs> swim to Africa. You know, I might have a little bit of you know, like like something down there, and you yeah. know, all over the place. So I thought I was 100% Italian. I'm only like 71% yeah. Italian or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, Tony, I I had some uh, well, we conquerors, like... man. That's why I was traveling. You know, I wasn't <laughs> hanging in a kibbutz just you know making bread or something like that, like Tom was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, I tough. I had some uh, like uh, like some of those northern African countries, which makes yeah. sense, right? Because Italy goes right down in, into there. I had like Moroccan. Uh, yeah. Rome and the Roman Empire was was spread there. I mean, of course, we were going to go down there and and taste the fruits of our labor. I mean, of <laughs> course, of course. Yeah, I, I did have a Moroccan girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Some of some of those girls are uh, they're pretty, man. They they are, they are. They're, guess... all, they're all pretty. They're all pretty. <laughs> I guess we'll end on that note. That will uh, conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed the episode, please rate and review it for us. If you'd like to join a professional supportive community of traders. You can join us at microefutures.com. Tony, uh, let the listeners know where they can find you and anything else you want them to know. Sure. Come to come to tastylive.com. Check us out. We're all free. We talk markets from 7 o'clock in the morning, Central Standard Time, till, till 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, Monday through Friday. We even talk on Saturday and, and even on Sunday for an hour when the future's open. So we're there all the time. Cool. Everything's on demand. You can always find me there. And if you want to email me, 
You can always email me. My email is bat, B-A-T. That's badass Tony at tastylive.com. Bat was my acronym on the trade on the floor of the CBOE. Everybody called me Batman. Hey, there we go. All right. Uh, JJ, uh, parting words. Oh, thank you so much for being with us. Like a breath of fresh air. Um, <laughs> man, I just, I, I miss working with people from the East coast. That's why Ray and I work together. And, and, uh, that's my, I think I'm, I'm like in another life. I was a New Yorker. So, you know, it, <laughs> we're, we're a different breed. I don't know how, if it's a good uh, one. It's my favorite breed. city. It's my favorite city in the world. And uh, thank you so much. And thank you for all you've done, what you're doing for all the retail people. And, you know, and we're, we're very, very grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Well, they've come to bat for me too. They really supported us. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So for Tony Batista, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of house street. You stop. So. <laughs>